What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Establish the Edge podcast. I'm your host, Pat Corain, and with me is my co-host, Mike Leone of EstablishTheRun.com. Mike, how's it going? It's going pretty well. Uh, it's a fun time of year. We're about a couple weeks away from the NFL draft. After that, get some dynasty rookie drafts going. You and I are in a startup now. So, yeah, it, it's it's a fun time of year to play fantasy. It is, and uh, we're planning on talking about that startup for most of this episode. We'll kind of see if we get into other topics. Um, if we do have time, that those other topics will be dynasty-related as well. So this is going to be a dynasty show um, kind of this this time of year. So makes sense to discuss dynasty i did want to focus real quick on one thing we talked about at the end of the show last week we were talking about the quarterback class and we mentioned you know there's potentially some other guys deeper in the class uh so i did just want to talk about that briefly because i think it's a little different than last year's class having looked at it there's i mean basically there's no jalen hurts (laughs) is what it comes down to and i and I also don't think there's a Jordan Love, for better or for worse, where um, you know maybe something weird happens and one of the five guys we're talking about gets in a Jordan Love situation where they slide later than expected and go behind an established starter, you know, or maybe the Falcons take a guy and it's kind of Jordan Love esque. But I don't think there's a guy that people aren't that excited about who's going to get selected in the first round. So I guess. Kyle Trask would maybe be in the mix there, or Davis Mills maybe be in the mix there, but uh, that's Trask is out of Florida, Mills out of Stanford, um, and Matt Waldman, who was just on the Establish the Run pod, really likes Davis Mills. He had him over Zach Wilson. But both these guys are pocket passers. Neither one of them have much, uh, can do a ton with their legs. Uh, And so I... I think they're more like probably in the Jacob Eason type of flyer range where maybe one of them lands uh, on in a situation where there's not necessarily going to be a, a long-term solution at quarterback on the roster and there's an outside chance that that guy can become a starter down the line. Probably maybe a little bit better draft position than Eason and therefore a higher percentage chance that you know they actually do land that starting spot. But anyway just to kind of close up the discussion on quarterbacks, I don't think it's going to be that exciting unless one of these two guys lands in a really interesting spot with good draft position. And I don't think there's much behind them. So it's really just these, these next two dudes. Yeah. It's really hard to generate upside as these non high end QB prospects that don't run. Um, you know, Hertz, if you had him last year, you had a home run. But I think Hertz, not only did you have the rushing upside, but a lot of people genuinely thought he was pretty underdrafted, you know, just based on his passing statistics in college, yep. um, you know, in addition to the rushing. So I took some cracks last year in some super flex leagues on Jake Fromm, Jacob Eason in, you know, fifth, sixth round where you know, if you run into a starter, like in Superflex, you're happy almost regardless of their fantasy upside. So, you know, probably a similar situation there, but I was taking cracks at Hertz and Love kind of early third last year. And, you know, these guys probably aren't that. Probably not. Yeah. Although I think they, they could maybe be like late third, early fourth, depending. We'd see the draft position needs to come through, but 
Yeah. They're um they're worse versions of Jordan Love, probably. It would, would be the way to think about it. But yeah, let's talk about this startup that we're doing. So we are currently halfway through round eleven in one of these uh Rotoviz format FFPC startups. So Rotoviz is partnering with the FFPC. They came up with this new format, which is um this is a super flex version. And so, you know, if you're familiar with the typical FFPC lineup with the one quarterback, two running backs, two wide receiver, tight end, double flex, it's like that, but it adds a super flex position and it adds a wide receiver position. So it's a deeper starting requirement. This, unlike typical FFPC leagues, does not have kicker and defense. So those two roster spots open up. Uh, but still, for the amount of starting roster spots that you have to fill, it's pretty shallow. This is a best ball league. And in season, you only have 22 roster spots. And then in the off season, you have to cut down to 16. So you really have to be cognizant of the fact that you're only going to be able to protect this core of 16 skill players, which is going to include, you know, probably two to three quarterbacks because it's super flex. So there's like this thing where you need to be really, really strong with your starting, uh, you know, your starting roster, obviously, but you also need to have depth, but you can't have too much depth because you can't protect all these guys in the off season. So a lot of stuff to consider here. I think it's a really fun format, really interesting format. Um, we drew the one Oh nine and Mike, why don't you, uh, I'll throw it to you to explain how we handled that. Yeah. Uh, real quick before I dive into one Oh nine, just, I want to point out, I absolutely love the format cause I like, deeper dynasty even though the cut down is a little shell you need a deep roster to compete especially we competed in the best ball version they have best ball and regular versions of this there is still in season fab but the scoring weekly is best ball which even adds to the depth um the value of depth so at 109 we missed out on the premier quarterbacks and christian mccaffrey so we basically decided we wanted to trade down and get more picks we weren't really sure if we you know what kind of team we were building in terms of young you know really going for it but just didn't see the value if we had to take a guy it probably would have been justin herbert there at the 109 to get a young quarterback who already yeah showed a lot of fantasy upside and the guy louie who we traded the pick to ended up taking Herbert, but we took basically a pretty break-even deal just because we wanted more depth. Trading to 109, I believe, and the 804 for you know a third-round pick and a fourth-round pick, I believe, is what it was. And then when it fell to us to the 204, our original second-round pick, we were one spot away from getting Dalvin Cook. And uh, had we been able to get Dalvin Cook, I think we would have we would have done it, and we would yeah. have kind of put the pedal to the metal and tried to win pretty quickly. Um, there were some guys in this draft. I got to pull up the draft board that fell in terms of win now players like Derrick Henry, Devonte Adams, even Travis Kelsey for tight end premium fell a decent bit, but we didn't want to go with those guys at the 204 you know same similar spot with the quarterback so we ended up trading down again and we had at that point three picks in the third round and three picks in the fourth round 
and we felt like with the value we were placing on depth, having six picks through four rounds was was pretty good, and we were kind of happy with what happened uh, with our first pick in the third round. Yeah, we ended up with Justin Fields as a first pick in the third round, which felt like really strong. The two quarterbacks after him were Jalen Hurts and Deshaun Watson, and just in terms of floor, those guys have such lower floors than Justin Fields. I mean, obviously the Watson situation, very concerning. And Hurts, I like Hurts. I think he could be really, really good. I think he has a very, very high ceiling. But I wouldn't rule out kind of a Drew Locke sort of situation where they only get five or six wins this year and they're back in position to you know, maybe get a, a falling quarterback or trade up for a quarterback and they end up pulling the trigger on that. And we don't even know if that's going to happen to Drew Locke, but good luck trading Drew Locke right now. You know, so Jalen Hurts could I'm be a Drew really Locke tough owner. Yeah, and well, I can, I can attest to that. You're basically just uh, praying they don't draft someone and, and ride in his points for as long as you can, unless you just yeah. find someone absolutely desperate for a quarterback right now. Yeah, I think we could be looking at a similar thing with Hurts. Certainly on the table. I hope not. I like Hurts. I have a lot of Jalen Rager, so I hope that offense looks good this year. But. But yeah, so just getting that that high floor and high ceiling combo with Fields was really nice. And uh, then we ended up doing a, something a little bit similar at 311. We got Trey Lance, which wasn't necessarily our plan to go double rookie quarterback there in the third. But Lance, I think, also offers a really high ceiling floor combination. Now, maybe we don't get as much out of him uh, this year. He's probably going to start on the bench but he looks like he could just be a fantasy superstar. So, and someone is going to put Trey Lance as their, as they're going to bet their franchise on Trey Lance. Someone's going to do it. And whether that means, you know, they have him sit for eight games or whatever first, ultimately, I don't think that's going to be a huge concern. One thing about this format is that you're capped in the number of quarterbacks that you take. You can only take three quarterbacks as a result, there will be waiver wire options, so we can we can yeah. see how everything shakes out, see which veterans we want to target to help fill in points if Trey Lance doesn't end up starting, which you know he probably will not start the year. And so I think that you know even taking Trey Lance with our third round pick doesn't necessarily mean that we won't have strong quarterback play this year because we will probably be able to add a veteran quarterback off waivers. Yeah, the cap is just for the draft. So, you know, if Watson ends up getting suspended or something, you know, someone like Tyrod Taylor is going to be on free agency and we can get to four or five quarterbacks if we want to at that point in time. You know, similar with San Francisco, if they really do start Jimmy Garoppolo out of the gate, then, you know, we're able to take Jimmy G. We did have one other pick sandwiched in between our two rookie quarterbacks. That was Antonio Gibson. And you know, we are proponents of wide receiver heavy builds. This structure promotes wide receiver heavy builds. Yet we took two quarterbacks and a running back out of the gate. And part of the reason for that is the fact that we were able to trade down a few times. And you'll see we did it even a couple more times and really build out a lot of depth. We knew there'd be a point in this draft where we were just taking receiver no matter what. So it kind of allowed us to swing for the fences in terms of having 
you know, sort of like an optimal lineup, even though it's best ball and fill these other positions that, you know, in a redraft league, you know, we, we would have been hitting wide receiver a bit more earlier, which brings us to the, well, but perhaps not. I mean, you've written about um, going with the hyper fragile draft strategy and best ball and, you know, the idea of being able to take the running back early. Maybe you take, you know, three running backs in a, in a pure best ball, but because we have access to waivers thinking about it, like let's say one to two is kind of like an anchor running back type of build. And then really piling on the wide receivers after that to make up for not having the true elite wide receiver scoring in this format, you know, we're getting Antonio Gibson, who I think could end up being that, that type of running back for us for, you know, this year and next year and perhaps beyond. So he gives us this, this roster construction with a little bit of stability to it. So I, I really like getting him there. Um, yeah. I and- noted we, we do legitimately like Gibson as, you know, one year mitigating some of the dynasty risk and taking a running back early by taking such a youthful player that already has a good track record and something we've hit on before with Gibbs and Pat is he did what he did last year, not playing the passing down role. Right. And that's Which is his specialty. He, right. That's what he's good at. So <laughs> yeah, if you just, if you add the passing down role onto what he did last year, you're talking, you know, round one upside is what we're For seeing. Sure. Maybe not round one in super flex, but like one, two turn round one redraft upside. Certainly like a guy that could go in the top eight picks next year. Uh, I would say, I would say five. Yeah. I think he's got, I mean, frankly, he's got top three upside in, in redraft, you know, like you just, and he's not the only one. I think Cam Akers does. I, I think, I I still kind of think DeAndre Swift does if they just kind of run the offense through him. Although I guess Jamal Williams makes that a little bit I'm less. I'm so torn on that one. But yeah and, yeah. and for context, we took Gibson at the 309. Akers went at the 206. Jonathan Taylor went at the 107. DeAndre Swift went at the 305. J.K. Dobbins went at the 307. So all those guys were off the board as far as the rookies from last year. CEH slips to the 410, which seems like decent value. We'll talk about that in a little bit too because we were somewhat considering him. And at that 4-5 turn, the rookie running backs, Najee Harris and ATN went as far as like the most youthful running backs available. Yeah. But I think Gibson has quite a bit more upside than Dobbins. I think it's quite a bit more upside than Chubb. I mean, Chubb's not going to be a three down player. We, we know that, um, is Chubb a better rusher than Gibson? Like, yeah, like a lot, like a lot better, (laughs) but I think Gibson could end up being a much, could end up turning in a much better fantasy season. And then he'd be entering his third year as opposed to Chubb. Who's, uh, entering his fourth now and entering his fifth the following year. So CEH was kind of interesting. He's like a dude who's sort of like a post-type sleeper all of a sudden going in round four, uh, going at the 410. We had actually considered him um, a little bit at the 409, where we ended up going with DJ Moore. And at the 412, we took T. Hinn. So, I mean, our wide receiver is pretty good. Pretty good, yeah, Mike. To, to set this up, though, so we're going in the fourth round, and we've got a short list of basically Jamar Chase, 
T Higgins and DJ Moore. Like that's, correct me if I'm wrong, Pat, but that's, that's the short list that we're yeah. working off. And we feel like hitting the two quarterbacks too. We were like hoping we started a QB run. We didn't really start a QB run there. We were kind of hoping we did. Um, but so we, we get on the clock. The run. <laughs> we get on the clock at four oh three and had to make probably our toughest decision because we really wanted Chase at four oh three. We get an offer, which is a future first round pick and the six ten for the four oh three. And for context, you know, we're talking behind the scenes of trading our future first to get more picks here. You know, we're not really by any means trying to trade for a future first, even though we're, we're building somewhat young. So there's that context. The other piece of context though, prior to the startup starting, someone traded a future first for 701 straight up. So at this point, we just see tremendous value in accepting the offer. And I, I was proud of us for taking the deal because it was tough to take it because we really want to chase. We didn't even want the future first, but we just had the mindset of like, this is too much value. We'll figure it out. And um, it rewarded us later on in the draft. Yeah, I think that you have to be flexible in these startup drafts. You know, don't go into it thinking like I'm going to punt. I guess you can go into it thinking you're going to punt because, you know, you might end up trading some picks away. Um, some some of your startup picks for future picks right away. Although, personally i wouldn't necessarily do that i'd sort of see how things are falling before you commit to a move like that but staying flexible and taking the value i think is a good way to approach startups and it's frankly a good way to approach your dynasty leagues you know years down the line like if someone sends you a deal that puts you in a bad spot roster construction wise but the value is really on the side of accepting the deal you can always make another trade to get yourself balanced again. Like take the deal and then and then put some time in and make some more trades until you you get your roster back to where you think it needs to be. So we ended up taking the deal. We did lose Chase, which was definitely a bummer. I keep thinking of like I'm just not going to have the exposure to Chase that I want. Um, he's going to be very expensive. There's you know spots where I've got high picks where I'm still probably not going to get him because I need the quarterback and superflex or what have you. So losing chase and he did fall a bit after our pick he fell to the 407 i thought maybe he'd get yeah. get to us at the 409 didn't get there yeah we took dj Moore at the 409 again you know, kind of talked about a running back but at this point we really wanted to start especially losing chase like we really wanted to start building up this receiver group um so we got dj Moore there who we just think is really underrated i mean for his age and production you know, it doesn't get a lot better. I know the quarterback situation currently isn't great, but he was very productive with Bridgewater last year. And, you know, Darnold's probably whatever the same. I, I'm There's not always... ruling them out taking a quarterback either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If, if, if the quarterback falls, if someone, because fa where do they pick? Eighth. They pick eight and Denver's nine. And, the way people are talking, like we could see Fields or Lance fall. I don't think they will ultimately, but like it's it's on the table that Fields or Lance falls. And there's no way I can't imagine. Like I can, they're probably not going to trade up after the Darnold deal, but they're. I can't imagine if a QB falls in their lap, they're not. They're not going to take it. Yeah, I've kind of created this like uh, fan fiction account of what happened, which <laughs> is that 
they explored trading up. It didn't, they didn't get any offers they like. They got Darnold pretty cheaply, and he's now going to serve as a backup option if one of the quarterbacks doesn't fall. So that's that's what I'm hoping is the case because if they have fields and they're sitting in their lap at eight and they don't take them, I'm going to lose my mind as someone who has a ton <laughs> of DJ Moore. But, so I really do hope they, uh, they pull the trigger. Now, it would be fun to see fields in Denver too, but I just I don't see how you can justify passing on Fields or Lance at the eighth pick. I'm hoping they they get the quarterback upgrade. But um, let's see in the fifth. Did we make another trade here? We took so we took T at four twelve, which you know he's tied to Burrow, and yeah. I think you had framed him as like a boomer bust guy heading into the year. And once we saw sure. that he could do it, you know, there was no reason to not change your opinion. To this is a really really great. Um, it wasn't just that yeah like he was awesome in yards per route run he he just like looks great like you can tell that you know he's he can play the wide receiver position at the NFL level he's got the quarterback and then a bunch of opportunity opens up with AJ Green departing he's entering year two it's just kind of the exact situation that you're looking to target for those really high ceiling second year breakout outcome. So I love grabbing T Higgins. I have him ahead of CD lamb right now in my dynasty ranks. And he went a full round after CD lamb, CD lamb. I'm a big fan of too, but uh, I just think the value on, on Higgins at four twelve is awesome. So we had the five Oh nine as our original pick. The person on the clock at five Oh eight sends us a deal it was our future first, the future first we traded for, essentially for the 508 and the 908, which like that, that's the crux of the deal, right? It's two future first for the 508 and 908. And just like before, we just thought that was tremendous value. Plus, it really kind of meshed with what we wanted to do. We wanted to continue to build out depth. You know, even though we traded down before and we built out more quality depth, we weren't gaining picks, you know, with the trade. We were just kind of rearranging the picks to get our talent of the players we were taking balanced out a little bit. The ability to straight up gain two picks with the best ball scoring and the super deep rosters to me was like insanely appealing. And the 508 was like, like I said, a first went for a 701. We traded it for a drop down from 403 to 610. And now we're going to straight up get the 508 and 908. Um, obviously 908 is not as good, but the I mean, I don't know. We, I get it's second time where we basically said, okay, there's too much value. Um, it fits what we want to do. And let's just take it and figure it out. Yeah. And this is why you take the value in the first place because now you have extra firepower. And our plan, like my favorite way to do a startup is to build young, Really focus on having a high floor with the selections that you're making, which often means young players, but uh, doesn't mean you just draft like all rookies or anything. But you're because you're still have a focus on trying to win the league, but you're building young and then you're selling off future picks. You're pushing into this year, so you're you're taking sort of you're sacrificing a little bit of like the obvious like redraft type of guys like the guys who have slightly better chances of outscoring the younger guys this year, you're, you're not taking those guys. It's a little bit of sacrifice in terms of 
this current season projected value. But because you're pushing in your future picks, especially in a best ball league, you're able to make up for that with a little bit of high-end quality volume. So um, we went the other way first, acquired the extra firepower, and then came in here. And with the 508, uh, we were able to grab Amari Cooper. And then I'll just say the 908, we got Terrace Marshall. So that trade ended up being two firsts, two future firsts for Amari Cooper and Terrace Marshall. That feels like a pretty good deal to me, especially because now all of a sudden this team's in a position where we can uh, seriously consider the idea of winning the league this year. Yeah, I think it's what you've stated before. You're almost free rolling a year of production. You know, a year from now, the value on Marshall and Cooper's probably not going to be that much less than what's likely mid or late firsts. I know when you trade the first, there's always some optionality that like you run bad on injury lock or busts, and that turns into a really, really good premium pick. But uh, yeah, it feels really strong, especially with the deep rosters and the best ball scoring. And we this allowed us to build out our wide receiver grouping uh, and still cover the other positions, as you'll see like shortly at this turn. But we took kind of one guy I, I was – banging the drum for a little bit and another a guy that you liked a lot. So we took Amari Cooper who you're not as young as some of the guys we built with, but he's still in his mid twenties. I know there's some risk longer term contract situation with Dallas, but uh, he performed superbly in terms of production and opportunity with Dak Prescott last year. I'm really high on this offense. I I forget exactly what it was. He had like, 50 targets or something uh, in those four games with with Dak. I remember like looking and we were kind of going back and forth and you were a little bit higher on Amari than I was. And then I was just like, all right, dude, he, he was so explosive with Dak. Like, and part of this, this whole build is that we do need to have some guys that are going to pop off this year and actually carry us to titles. You can't just go for like the true high floor guys. And Amari Cooper – his contract situation is such that like if he totally tanks this year, they could just move on. Now, I don't think they'll do that. Michael Gallup's also a free agent. So I think Gallup more likely to leave than, than Cooper who's under contract for 2022, but it's not out of the question. So you are taking on a little bit more risk with that selection, but God, that offense was so explosive when it had Dak and, uh, and just looking back at that portion of the year, it's hard not to get excited about what Cooper could do in a full season. Yeah, good quarterback, dome, super fast pace, bad defense. Uh, I, I feel pretty safe. And for me, I, like, I feel like it's a pretty safe bet that his trade value in a year from now is going to be stable because of all those contextual situations. Like, I, I just don't see him really, barring injury, tanking from a fantasy point perspective. Um, always possible. And then, Pat, we get Brandon Ayuk. You know, who you really high on from San Francisco? Well, I I want to say this is where we brought in Ben Gretsch because yes. we were <laughs> we were like, all right, Ben, because at this point in the draft, there's the potential to take a tight end because TJ Hawkinson's still on the board, Mark Andrews still on the board. There's also some running backs, Miles Sanders, Joe Mixon, Austin Eckler, all on the board, and then there's some wide receivers. So we're trying to figure out like how to construct this team positionally, and we have some picks 
in the following round. We've got we the 602. This. Yeah. We've got Sorry, 602, 604, 610. So we know that's coming up. Right. So it's it's both like what should we be selecting with these picks overall and within that how do we order them so that we get the most guys that we want. Um after talking to Gretch Surprise, surprise, we were less excited about the running back options <laughs> yeah, and more I excited actually, about the wide receivers. <laughs> my initial lean was to take Miles Sanders, but we did have Miles Sanders, Austin Eckler, and Mixon on the board. And essentially, we knew one of those guys was going to fall to us uh, at the 602. So we take Amari Cooper, Brandon Ayuk, and then in between our taking those two guys in the 602 miles Sanders goes and Hawkinson goes. So now we've got three picks in the sixth round and it's the dilemma is again, what order do we take them? We kind of planned on taking a fifth receiver, but at the same time, the QB run didn't happen yet. And we think we can start one. If we take a third QB and be really in a strong position there by having extra picks. Other teams can't really afford to do that at the quarterback position. And we also know at 602, Mixon and Eckler on the board. So we know we we, we we can't decide. We prefer Eckler, but it's a toss-up. And we're guaranteed one of them at 604. So ultimately, we decided let's go QB at 602, one of Eckler, Mixon at 604, if somehow Mark Andrews falls to 6'10", we'll take him there. If not, we'll build out our, our wide receiver group. Yeah, and we had a little bit of a decision here with like Matt Ryan, who, you know, Matt Ryan would have been, I think, pretty good pairing with Trey Lance and Justin Fields because barring them taking a quarterback, which they could do um, and probably should do, frankly. But barring that, Matt Ryan should have, you know, a couple years here where he's a pretty strong starter. And even if they do take a quarterback, I think he'll ultimately find a second home somewhere else. It's not like he's going to be riding the bench in Atlanta long term. So uh, Matt Ryan was definitely someone that I was interested in, but we go Mac Jones um, partly because the idea of like having these guys as trade assets, not just for the production I mean, for me, Mac Jones is appealing because if he really does go three to San Francisco by mid-season, end of season next year, he is not going to be worth the 602. He's going to be worth probably quite a bit more than the 602. Um, I think he's probably jumping up two rounds in value just by being San Francisco's starter. So I don't see that for Matt Ryan, given his age. You know, given that the team's already sort of starting to talk about at least replacing him if they get the chance to. So Mac Jones offers that potential to maybe move on from him if we don't love what we see uh, this year at a profit. And if we do love what we see, that's pretty good value. <laughs> There's also the risk we're taking is we have a team that as young as it is, is constructed to compete this year by having the depth that we have and what happens if these guys aren't starting right away, we don't want to throw away a pretty good build um, for this year. The good news is even though it's best ball scoring, it's still like weekly matchups and whatnot. So, you know, we could lose a couple early or not have 
be at full strength early and end up okay having a powerhouse by mid-year with these guys starting. So that that's the risk. I do think, you know, we're talking about Mac Jones's trade value in the future. I think we might have some trade options immediately after the startup draft too, if we want to pursue them. Um, also, we could kind of bank on the, you know, Mac Jones is what, like minus 300 to go to San Francisco. He might have a lot of trade value right after the NFL draft if that comes to fruition. And we might be able to get Matt Ryan plus, you know, for Mac Jones. Um, maybe we'll see. Um, but that, or that maybe we could go get Tannehill plus who Tannehill had already gone, you know. Yeah. Someone I'm a little bit more excited about than Ryan because I think, well, he's probably going to score more points and he's a little bit safer uh, given his contract. So we do that. Uh, Jalen Waddle goes at the 403. We were kind of hoping he might slip to 610. Uh, we, we had him sort of as in that group of Amari and Ayuk who we selected ahead. And, but we knew we'd, we'd probably take a lot of rookie receivers later. Uh, we ended up going Eckler at the 604, both him and Mixon around the board. Uh, I, I was sort of leaning Mixon, but you talked me into Eckler, and I looked at our rankings for this year, and we've got Eckler ahead. So I think it makes sense. It's just a safer pick with the pass-catching profile there. Uh, and then we, we were sweating the Mark Andrews at 610, and we finally kicked off a little bit of a QB run. Because teams, at this point, we've taken three, so we've put some pressure on some teams. So Matt Ryan goes, Kirk Cousin goes, Carson Wentz goes, then Joe Mixon goes. And then at that point at 6'10", we're basically saying we're going to take someone to help us win now, which is either Keenan Allen or Mark Andrews. And Keenan Allen goes 6'09", and we get Mark Andrews at 6'10", and tight end premium. And we, we sort of tried our best pat to avoid mark andrews who we had so much exposure to last year yeah and um again we didn't expect to not take a receiver in this sixth round but having the extra picks let us cover all the other positions we still have four receivers at this point it's not like we don't have any we have more than the average team and since we gained those extra picks you know we've got we know we're going to want to take receiver basically every pick remaining so uh we really got a lot of upside for this year with andrews falling to 610 that really kind of kicked up our chances of winning this year if things can work out with him yeah and andrews was pretty solid last year he had 1.86 yards per route run he was incredible in yards per route run the previous year um it fell off this past year that's um the number i'm citing includes the playoffs for andrews but so not not the year we were hoping for is a couple of guys who bet a lot on Andrews uh, this year, but I am starting to wonder if you know with Baltimore if there's a little bit of upside for them to just kind of move towards passing like they from 2019 to 2020 they moved even more towards running the ball, and we're all going to be drafting this year convinced that they're going to just be super, super, super run heavy, which they probably will be. But what if they're just super run heavy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that, that extra passing volume, um, if they regress a little bit to the mean, it could be a little bit like Seattle where uh, we all assumed they were going to be very run heavy and they started out a little bit more pass heavy than expected uh, a lot more pass heavy at first. And that, 
allowed Metcalf and Lockett to be major values to start the year? So uh, at this point, we don't have a pick now because some of the the swaps to get more picks in the fourth to sixth round range, I believe our next pick isn't until round eight at this point. Um, yeah, that's right. So round, or so actually round nine. So we don't have a round pick nine. In the seventh. Yeah. We don't have a pick in the eighth. Uh, but we see there's there's a lot of yellow out there. There's a lot of wide receivers. We say yellow because that's the, the color it shows on the draft board. A lot of wide receivers out there. We feel pretty good about someone from this big tier lasting to us. But the group we drafted was pretty keen on the value of the wide receiver with the two flexes and the three wide receiver spots. And a lot of wide receivers went. Yeah, We got down to Debo Samuel versus Terrace Marshall. I'm really high on Debo. I think the gap between him and Ayuk is too wide, and I don't think it's because Ayuk's necessarily overrated. I think it's because Debo is underrated off you know, a season where injuries derailed him a bit. I think when we were talking about this with Ben Gretsch, the three of us were kind of like, yeah, De- Debo's undervalued. Ayuk's better, but Debo's undervalued. And Pat, what was the yards per route run stat you came up with? Do you recall? Oh, here it is. Here it is. So the only guys above two yards per out run in each of their first two seasons, going back to 2011, Julio Jones and AJ Green, Mike Evans and Odell Beckham, Michael Thomas and Tyreek Hill, AJ Brown and Debo Samuel. Super odd, by the way, that like they all, it didn't happen a lot, but when it happened, it happened with two. (laughs) It it happens twice. Yeah. Yeah. So Um, that's like now. The caveat is that Debo did that on a lot less routes run his second year because they get like 173 routes this past year because of the injuries. Um, and so you could say like maybe if he had actually played a full year, he wouldn't have been been as efficient, but he was actually quite efficient last year. It's not like he just kind of barely edged over that line. So he's had an awesome start to his career and I think people are discounting that because of the injury-riddled sophomore season and because Ayuk is, frankly, a more exciting player. And Debo's kind of pigeonholed in a lot of this short stuff, the time, you know, the, the incredibly short dot. But with a quarterback upgrade, I wonder if we see his role expand a little bit. And the other thing is that we were guaranteed now to have, <laughs> to have the San Francisco starter because we have Fields, we have Lance, and we have Mac Jones. So barring something really weird, like the Jets lying about who they're taking, we have the San Francisco starter and we have Ayuk. So the Debo double Samuel stack, best ball scoring been, it. Oh, yeah. So good. So of course, Dan Masterson, who's a super sharp FFPC player, he grabs Debo Samuel uh, and we end up with Terrace Marshall, who I'm, I'm excited about. I think he was a really high ceiling player. And normally, I'd probably even take him over Debo, but given the construction that we had, it definitely felt like a consolation prize to get Marshall instead of Debo. Yeah, it's definitely kind of funny to be bummed out about us taking the guy you had ranked a little bit higher. But yeah, I mean, those best balls, those stacks, like in a dynasty best ball, just don't happen that organically usually. So Especially that with guys like Debo's entering his third year. Ayuk's entering his second year, and then we've got a rookie quarterback. So you've got like multiple years guaranteed of this stack. It just would have been really fun. So we take Terrace Marshall, who I know you're high on. JJ Zachariason for number fire. FanDuel released his. 
rookie rankings, which I like to check out every year. And he had Terrace, I believe, as wide receiver three in this year's draft. So uh, he also agrees. And don't want to spend too much time on him, but I do think it's worth noting, Pat, the how we have to use context when we're using some of these thresholds that we want guys to hit in terms of dominator rating. Because correct me if I'm wrong, isn't Terrace one of the guys where it's like, well, he played with you know, Jamar he played, Chase, he played with um, Justin Jefferson, Justin Jefferson. Like we can't hold, we can't, it's unfair to hold that against him too much. Yeah. I think you can hold it. I think what a guy does in college, you know, is what, is what they did. And so we don't want to just like ignore what the numbers ultimately came in at, but you want to try to think through things in a range of outcomes. So, what we have from Terrace Marshall is a career market share of yards of just 17%. That's really bad. We don't we don't want guys who have that low, low level of career production. This is something that we saw from Henry Ruggs. This is one of the reasons T. Higgins was better in this, but he was also pretty low in his career uh, career market share of yards, which is a pretty major red flag, points to the potential that the guy could be a total bust. Uh, he also, you know, his dominator rating was better over his career, but still just uh, 24%. But these numbers that I'm looking at, you know, they're percent of your team's offense. So if you're playing as a true freshman and true sophomore behind Justin Jefferson is a year older than you and behind Jamar Chase, who's your same year, but one of the best prospects that we've seen in a number of years it would make sense that you might have trouble producing a very high percentage of your team's offense because those guys are crushing uh, and producing a you know a, a ton of percentages only go to a hundred, right? So <laughs> if you're playing with those two guys, you're not necessarily going to be able to also have a thirty percent dominator rating. The thing that we saw when they left is that he had thirty four percent of the yards. 59% of the receiving touchdowns, dominator rating of 47%. That was only in seven games, though, because of the short season. Um, so that also points, I would say, a little bit to a low floor because we just have a seven-game sample of this guy being dominant, and he wasn't dominant in the two years prior to that. And so you have to really consider the fact that maybe Terrace Marshall is just a mirage. On the other hand, if he had just played more games in his final season, those career numbers would look better. And if he hadn't been stuck behind Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, I think very hard to argue that the career numbers wouldn't be better. And when he finally got a chance in the games we did see him in to not be next to both Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, he was incredible. So the ceiling here is also quite high. Uh, the draft position, I think, will be there. I think he could be in the first round. I think he probably is unlikely at this point to fall out of the second round, given that he ran a 4 440 at six foot two, 205. Good jumps as well, 39-inch vertical, 125-inch broad jump. So he's athletic. He was extremely productive in his final year. That generally leads to good draft position. And we can kind of use context to say, look, this guy probably 
would have been a lot more productive playing if you know maybe outside of Alabama and any other school in the country as a freshman and sophomore, given what we saw him do as a junior. So it's not to say that those numbers don't matter, but it's just that he has a much wider range of outcomes and you just need to consider that in your evaluation of him. And the only non-receiver that was even kind of remotely on our radar was if Kenny Gainwell fell, Pat liked him as a running back, knowing again that probably not going to take a ton of running backs until very late. Um, but he goes at 8-12, so was never an option for us. We didn't really consider trading up at that point. When we took Marshall, we we thought about trading up because that round started with DJ Chark on the board, Cooper Cup on the board, Debo and Terrace, and you know, Chark goes, Cup goes. Uh so we thought about trying to leapfrog Dan Masters in there, knowing he was going to take at least. I was one like, Dan Masters is like a lock to take one of the one of the guys we wanted. So it was like, as long as there's two guys that we want, we're okay. Yeah, if there's only one. I wasn't didn't want to chance it. But those picks came in quick. What happened? Cup, Cup went, and then, or was it? I think it was more went, and then very quickly, Cup, Carr, and Chuba Hubbard went, and we got or Chuba Hubbard. Yeah, we, we had made an offer. The same guy had the 905 and 906. So we were trying to get one of his picks and um, he he didn't want our offer and then just picked. And it was like, ah, what, what happened? Is our guy there? Is he not there? So Debo right. goes, but but Terrace is still available. We don't have a pick in round 10. Uh, the draft is currently on the 1105. We pick 1109. We have at this 1112 turn, the 1109, the 1202, and the 1204 and Pat, this is where we're really just going to, I think, build out our wide receiver depth. You know, we, we took some shots on having an absolutely dominant roster, which is sometimes what it takes to win best ball by taking running back tight end and covering quarterback early. Um, but it's so much fun that we were able to do that. Still get pretty four to five highish end dynasty receivers. And we're going to take likely three here to give us eight uh, receivers. So we'll see the board right now. You know, there's still some of the rookies are out there. Elijah Moore, Tylen Wallace. Um, there's some Seth Williams. Seth um, Williams. Yep. There's, then like, there's older veterans like Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry still available. Michael Gallup. Um, and then second year guys who weren't incredible as rookies, but I still think have upside like Henry Ruggs, Gabe Davis, uh, a little bit further down, KJ Hamler. So. There's some pretty solid names here. Who who are you? You say I think you were saying Odell Beckham was the guy jumping out to you. I was interested in Odell. We're skewed so young that having a guy, another guy that's going to give more. Like if Val, if it was just redraft value, he would have gone by now, right? We're getting some redraft value out of Odell. I also think, even though I'm a like a never middle guy, I kind of like to go all in or like all out, you know, one direction or the other. I do think it makes sense sometimes to at least have a couple guys that are, you know, opposed to the rest of your roster based on how things go, you can trade accordingly, you know? So we're super young. We have Odell Beckham. If the year doesn't go how we hope, you know, that that's, that's a guy that we can trade to a contender mid season. Um, and similarly, if you were building like a really win now team, I do think, 
there's probably a point in the draft where you still want to try and grab a couple of younger assets. Just one, you can trade them mid season to go all in or two, you know, you're not completely screwed if it doesn't go right. So like just having a little bit of optionality by not going like a hundred percent in one direction, going more like 95, but I'm also a Homer stand for Gabriel Davis, who I feel like splits the difference a little bit, you know, just the way the bills offense is constructed. We're going to get value out of him this year. Um, He was, kind of a trendy sleeper pick. I believe you were higher on him than the market by a decent bit going into, I think pre NFL draft last year. So to see him have some success and have your role in this offense is exciting. He's a good prospect. Three-year guy. He had a breakout season and he ultimately didn't get as high a draft position as I was hoping, but saw the field right away, which is, I mean, part of that, part of the reason that we want the draft capital in the first place is because it's a proxy for opportunity. It's also a proxy for talent. Like the NFL, they're not just blindly picking these guys. They are putting a lot of time into that. So it is definitely a proxy for talent, but it's also a proxy for opportunity. And when you see a guy get on the field right away like that, one opportunity right out of the gate, perfect Two, it takes a lot of talent to pass guys. And, you know, as a fourth rounder to show that you belong on the field right away, it's impressive. It's one of the reasons why I quickly changed my opinion on Terry McLaurin in his rookie season, where I wasn't very excited about him. But then you see, okay, all of a sudden he's a major factor in his team's offense. As a rookie, it probably means he's good. Like the whole idea of this market share stuff that, like, the reason I care about the percentage of the team's offense is because the general philosophy is if you're able to establish yourself quickly within your offense and take a big piece, you're probably very talented. And so Gabriel Davis to be able to come in and get that piece of the offense to himself very quickly, I think is a pretty bullish sign given that he wasn't, you know, a day two pick. He was a day three guy. Yeah. I do think we start to see some teardrop off. So it's pretty nice that like, it's, it's very likely we'll get three of like 10 guys um, barring just everyone going receiver. And even if everyone went receiver, the numbers work out pretty favorably for us before Things start to drop off. Um, I guess before we wrap this up, you know, your take on the rookies that are still available. I think Elijah Moore, Talon Wallace, and Seth Williams are the three highest available um, that, according to your dynasty rings. Yeah, those guys. I'm all. I'm excited about all of them. I think Elijah Moore offers the highest floor because I don't think he's falling past day two. He is a slot wide receiver. He's undersized. He's like off the top of my head, like 5'9, 5'10, 180. I think he's slightly under 180. So, not the guy that you're going to be the most excited to draft, but he checks basically every box production wise, and he should have day two draft capital. And he was, he was athletic. So, that's one reason that I feel good about his draft capital coming in pretty strong. If Seth Williams gets drafted day two, I'm going to be incredibly bullish on Seth Williams. He's actually big. He's he's two ten or two seventeen. Excuse me. Um, he's also fairly athletic, and he also checks a lot of boxes that I look for in terms of coming out early, uh, getting that breakout season. He actually had two breakout seasons, very strong career numbers. It's just with him, some of the film isn't. Uh, all that great from what I understand. And so I'm a little bit worried about him falling to day three, but Seth Williams is 
a real swing for the fences type of pick. And then Tylen Wallace is a productive four-year player towards ACL after his uh, junior season and so did not come out when I think maybe he might have had he been healthy following 2019 because he was very productive in 2018 and 2019. But comes back for a senior year coming off the ACL tear, has a really, really good senior year. So he's put together a very impressive career. I hope that he goes day two as well. So I think all three of these guys are pretty strong bets. Seth Williams, the widest range of outcomes of those three because I think the draft position is the most unclear with him. Um, But at the same time, I'm probably most excited about him, even though I've sort of held myself in check rankings-wise. At some point, you're like, you can't rank a guy assuming he's going to go day two and he's only got like maybe a 60% chance. So I've I forced myself to to keep uh, the ranking in check. But good God, if he's a second-round pick, Mike, the Seth Williams rank is going to be high. <laughs> the train is in motion. <laughs> but yeah, I... I love this format. I'm really excited that there's like a public dynasty format that you can play for decent money that, you know, fits this. I just like the dynamic of like how deep the starting rosters are. You know, there's not a lot out there in terms of paid leagues that lets you do this. If you're not creating your own, Um, I think it, I think it's just more dynamic than if you're playing like a non super flex league, non basketball with regular starting spots, the strategy becomes, like there's less lanes to sort of operate. Whereas in this sort of league to an extent with all the trading mid draft, it's almost has an auction feel to it. Obviously your starting capital is different, which isn't what would happen in the auction just based on the luck of the draw. But from that point forward with the trading, people are sort of building however they want, which is fun. You can go top heavy. You can, you can go super balanced. Like we did a lot of different options. One thing I'll say is on trading these leagues are really fun because the type of people that play these leagues are generally down to trade and they're not overthinking stuff like me and mike and they're not you know analyzing every little thing like should there actually be a 2022 fourth added to this side or what you know they're more (laughs) likely to just fire and get some trades done which i think is actually in a way the more plus ev way to operate because if you operate like that People are going to enjoy trading with you. They're going to think of you when they send trade offers. They're going to think that, you know, this is something I can actually get done quickly. And so therefore you're going to have more trades in your life, which if you're good at trading is a good thing. Um, And then the other thing I'll say again, sort of to that point is that if you think you have an advantage in identifying a type of build that you want to do or a portion of the draft that you think is going to be really rich then simply loading up in that portion of the draft and adjusting where your picks are is going to be a plus EV move. You don't need to also win the trades that get you there. You can take a trade even at a slight loss if it gets you into the position of the draft that you want to be in and it's an overall win. And so I think that's something that we executed really well in this, especially early on, those first couple trades where what we were doing to move down from 109, no one bowled us over with this huge offer to take the 109. We just wanted to be in better position. And so we traded down at essentially even value, maybe even at a, a slight loss in terms of what a trade value, uh, a trade calculator might tell you. 
but it allowed us to change the structure of our draft in a way that we thought was very plus EV given this format. That's a super good point. Like really well put. And there's also an element of, I mean, you're doing this for fun, right? I mean, no one's wrapping up money in a dynasty league purely for the expected value of it, you know, paying a deposit for next year, waiting a whole season. So uh, with that in mind, I mean, if there are players or builds you really want, like, like go, like Pat said, like, don't go crazy because you're not getting the exact value you want on a trade. I mean, you obviously want to be sharp. Part of the fun is being sharp and building a winner, but if there are builds or specific players you like, you know, don't, it's not going to be the most minus EV decision of your life. If you, you know, take the 45% side of a 55, 45 trade. Yeah. And the other thing I'll say, having played in dynasty for, for years now is that like, if you end up having guys that you really just don't like, you're also more likely to sell way too low on them later on. So, you know, getting, getting your guys, getting guys that you actually want to own that are, you're going to be able to ride through some rough patches that, you know, you should ride out that you're not going to basically panic sell on. Um, I think that's that's more fun and it probably also leads to like a better outcome for your team if you're not kind of stuck with this player that you think sucks because because you had an offer that wasn't quite valuable enough to move off him like move off him at that point if you want to. They they call this the difference between Mike Leone's Brandon Ingram top shots and his Anthony Davis top shots as I'm trying to panic sell my Brandon Ingram top shots that you know, I bought solely just because I thought it was a little bit of a good deal at the time. <laughs> right. And now you're like, oh, shit, I own Brandon Ingram. I don't what want am I doing? this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give this away. I don't want it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a real thing where you're just like, oh, get this off my roster. I'll take anything. So consider that too. You know, It's, it's psychological things where you actually – some of the psychological stuff you have to think through is yourself. <laughs> like, who am I going to be in, in three months when I have this guy on my roster? Um, but yeah, I think we've now given away our, our remaining pick strategy um, in a podcast that's going to be released probably before we pick again. So I think before we get too deep <laughs> into what, how we're going to close out the draft, uh, we might want to wrap it up. Although I did want to say for for running back before we close out, we talked a bit about how we wanted to build a little bit hyper fragile, like have some of the um, advantages of that hyper fragile strategy in best ball where you take like three guys and then don't draft any guys later on. And we basically did a very, very hyper fragile build where we got Eckler and we got Antonio Gibson. And then we have not taken a running back since. And we may not take a running back with any of our high value picks for the rest of the draft. But this also goes to the format where this is a best ball league, but it has in-season waivers. It has a preseason waiver wire run and then also weekly waiver wire runs. And this is a league that cuts down to 16 players in the offseason. So in the offseason, a bunch of kind of suspect zero running back, you know, pass catching limited running backs are going to be hitting the waiver wire every year. You're going to be able to scoop them back up with your rookie free agent picks if you want to and the rookie free agent draft is like 10 rounds long so you can kind of re-add some of that depth uh, in the offseason and acquire that depth throughout the season as 
you know, injuries happen, et cetera. So this isn't a true best ball league where you need to have everything set in stone. You can go even more fragile at the running back position with just those two high end options, or frankly, even maybe one, and then kind of do like a modified zero running back type of thing. But essentially, keeping the uh, total amount of, of uh, draft capital invested in the running pe- running back position very limited, and then using the waiver wire and cut downs to your advantage. But yeah, we'll close it out with that. Um, everyone, if you're uh, <clears throat> but yeah, we'll close it out there. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes. Leave us a rating and review. And we'll be back in a couple weeks, probably to talk about the close of this uh, startup real quick and um, whatever else uh, we're feeling. We, we have a draft. Well, the NFL draft weeks. is in we, two weeks to the day. Yeah, we might want to. What we in. might do is like do like a weekend recording and just talk about the draft. Yeah. You want to do that or maybe a Monday? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. We'll do a post draft. Next one will be post draft. Oh, man. Oh, man. It's almost here, Mike. Almost here. <laughs> it's on my birthday. Wow. All right. Perfect. Happy birthday to you. Let's see what the Bills do. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go.